0: don't think I have to tell you that we are now within short range of the upcoming election. We're less than two months away from the big presidential election and, of course, associated elections taking place as well. Uh, I do not doubt, I think I could accurately predict that every day between now and election day, we'll hear something about the polls what the polls are saying concerning the presidential election and concerning other elections that are coming along. The polls are constantly being taken and they're constantly being reported to us. There's great effort to figure out what is the population going to do when it comes to voting? Who will they vote for? Uh, And, of course, politicians adjust themselves according to what the polls are saying. If the numbers say this is... A popular topic to be pursued. The politicians will pursue that. If the polls say, don't go there, don't talk about that, the politicians will avoid that. They're going to pay attention to the polls, to the numbers, to what are the numbers reporting to them. Politicians are not the only ones who do that sort of thing. Uh, people who sell things, people who are in the marketplace, who want to make a profit, pay attention to what the polling numbers tell them is what what's the people want, what they don't want, what might sell, what won't sell. And so even market trends are being watched for the numbers. And so there's a lot of emphasis on what does the public want, what do they like, what do the numbers indicate to us. Uh, uh, and, and of course, the numbers then are used to determine what the next course of action will be if the If the polls say that people want this we 'll do that if they say they want that or a different thing, we will do that it 's all about the numbers unfortunately, and I think you 'll agree with me unfortunately, this has become the rule in religion as well. What do the masses of people want uh, and based upon What's understood by that sort of polling, religious activities are adjusted accordingly. Churches go this way or that based upon what the numbers say. Well, today we want to ask the question, what do the numbers really tell us? Because I think there's some serious misunderstanding about numbers relative to our religious service to God, and God actually has something to say about the numbers and how we ought to view them. And we want to look at that for just a few minutes in our study together this morning. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you very much for coming out. What a gorgeous, beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. I mean, this is the kind of weather we've been anxious for. We've been anticipating some cooler weather coming in. And, and this morning we got a taste of that. Maybe first taste of autumn. And it was a beautiful morning. It is a beautiful morning in Middle Tennessee. Made even better... I hope you will agree, by the fact that we can come together to worship God on a day like this. It's a great privilege and blessing, and we are uh, grateful to have this chance and grateful that you're here to be a part of it. We have a number of visitors with us today, and we're glad that you came. We hope you come back just every time that you have a chance to be here. So what do the numbers tell us? I would submit to you, first of all, the numbers do not tell us, for instance, that we are doing what is right now, this is what folks have allowed to happen. Uh, if, if the polling numbers indicate that people have of a certain activity, then people adjust their thinking to that and assume that is right. Let me give you just a, a very graphic illustration of what I have in mind. Take the subject of homosexuality. Now, there has obviously been, in our lifetimes, really within the last two or three decades, there has been a very aggressive push, there's been an agenda pursued to convince the majority of people that homosexuality is acceptable, an effort to make it right. Uh, In fact, a, a strong condemnation of those who oppose it, those who oppose it are wrong. Homosexuality is right, and anybody who speaks out against it is wrong. Now, has that been successful? Well, sad to say, that has been very successful, right? To the point, and this kind of harmonizes with some of the things that we were describing in our adult class here in the auditorium, this morning, to the point now that religious organizations are endorsing the practice of homosexuality. Uh, it's right now. It was wrong before, but it's right now. That's just one example, and there are plenty of others. But the idea is that because this has become, because this agenda has been pursued, and because this has become a sort of a groundswell of public opinion to accept the practice of homosexuality, therefore that makes it all right. It's okay now. And that's just one example. We could cite plenty of other examples, but the numbers do not tell us. What is right and wrong? In Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, Moses warned, thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Notice what the multitude says is not necessarily right. It may be evil. The multitude may be doing evil. And if you followed them, you'd be doing evil as well. But the multitude would be the majority, right? That'd be the majority opinion. And yet Moses' warning is the majority can be way off. Don't follow the multitude to do evil. Jesus made it crystal clear in a very well-remembered statement in Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Notice, this is Jesus speaking. This is not us. This is Jesus speaking, and he said... The majority is going to miss the mark. The majority is going to be wrong. Only a minority will be saved. And so very definitely then the numbers do not tell us that we are necessarily doing the right thing, right? Secondly, and very closely associated with that, the numbers do not tell us that we have God's approval. Although the numbers may very definitely be in a certain direction, We've got to be careful in assuming that God th- therefore necessarily approves it because the numbers are indicating a certain thing. I want to call your attention to uh, some examples of that. Uh, you know, the, the idea is that if you could convince enough people to act in a certain way, then uh, you can get the rules changed and God will say it's okay if, if you do it that way. Think of Noah as an example. In the days of Noah, in Genesis chapter 6, beginning verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If you think about that, how was it in Noah's day? Who had the approval of God? Everybody was going one direction. Noah, as a lone example, was going a different way. Who did God approve? Well, obviously, God approved Noah. Uh, God was with Noah. And so just because the majority or the big numbers are going in a certain direction, uh, that does not make it so. Another great example is in the book of Daniel with the classic case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had set, set up an image, an idol, and he was expecting people to bow down and worship it. Daniel 3 verse 7 says all the people, the nation's languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. I want to emphasize to you all the people. Uh, So how was this going? Uh, what, What direction were the numbers pointing? Well, everybody was doing this. Everybody was worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's idol. All the people, it says. But you remember the famous response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered and said to the king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Again, I think this is a, a really clear indication of the point that we are trying to make, and that is that the Numbers do not indicate that God necessarily approves what we are doing. Now, would you agree with me that those first couple of points are strongly being violated in the religious world at large today? People think if we got good numbers coming our way, then we are obviously doing what's right and God is with us. Don't you think that 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 is common thinking? And although that's common thinking, it's wrong thinking, right? One more associated point along this line is just because the numbers are coming in a certain direction does not ensure success. We have an expression, don't we? There's strength in numbers. Uh, The idea is that success is guaranteed if we have bigger numbers, more people. But that's not necessarily so with God. I want to remind you of the reading that Damon did just a few moments ago from 2 Kings 6. This was during the lifetime of the prophet Elisha, and uh, the king of Syria was pretty angry uh, because every time he started to make a military move, it was clear that somebody knew what he was up to before he did it, and so he assumed that he had a spy or a mole among his own close staff members, and he, he was upset about it, but, but his staff told him, it's not us. It's Elisha, the prophet Elisha in, uh, in Israel. He knows what you do before you do it. He knows the whispers that you make when you're in your bed at night. He knows everything. Elisha, the problem is Elisha is, is foretelling your moves before you make. It's not a spy over here with us. It's the prophet Elisha, Elisha over there in Israel. And so the king of Syria said, we, we, "We will take care of that." And he, and he, made, he, he made a move to find Elisha and execute him and so he surrounded the city where Elisha was and that's where this reading picks up in 2nd Kings 6 verse 15 when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth behold a an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots and the servant said unto him Elisha alas my master how shall we do and he answered fear not notice for they that be with us are more than they that be with them wait a minute, there's a whole army out there and there's just this handful of us here. And yet Elisha says, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. So again, here's a case of big numbers not guaranteeing that they'd be successful. And in this case, Uh, The king of Syria was not successful in taking Elisha. And so numbers don't ensure that we would be successful either because it's all about doing the will of God. It's not what the numbers say. So numbers do not tell us we're doing what's right, that God approves us, that we will necessarily be successful in doing the will of God. With those points having been made, I want to ask this question. Does that mean then... That we should just ignore the numbers completely. Should we ignore the numbers altogether, just not be concerned about what the numbers are saying in any way or shape or form? Well, I want to answer that, first of all, with the answer no. We should not be concerned with the numbers. If we are mistakenly making the numbers our number one goal, okay? So should we be concerned about the numbers? No. No if we are, are going the way that so many in the religious world are going by just simply saying the numbers are the be-all and the end-all. Should, we should not be concerned. The, the perfect example comes from Jesus himself. Remember John 6, he'd been teaching, and some of the things he'd been saying had really been hard. In John 6, verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said, Jesus, to the twelve, will ye go away also? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. Uh, Get get the picture here. Jesus had been teaching some hard doctrinal things. And the people said, man, that's really hard. It was so hard in their mind that they said, we're not going to do that. We're We're leaving. But what we point out here is that Jesus did not run after them. Uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't run after them and say, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. We'll tone that down a little bit. If that's too hard, let me restate that. Let me, let me make it a little easier for you to swallow these teachings. He didn't do that, did he? And so Jesus wasn't worried about the numbers. He even said to his 12 apostles, are you, are you all going to go too? Peter, of course, commendably said, no, you have the words of life. But the point is that that if it came down to losing numbers, Jesus was willing to lose the numbers, he was not going to compromise his message. And I believe that that is a bottom line rule for us as well. We cannot compromise the message just because we think numbers will, will be on our side if we do. You remember the horrible situation in the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul described the terrible, immoral situation that existed there. It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump... You can almost imagine the people at Corinth. Here, here's this guy, you know, and he's not hes not really living right. Uh, we know that he's doing some bad stuff. In fact, he's doing some stuff worse than people of the world are doing. But we really can't say anything about that. Uh, if we want to grow our numbers here at Corinth, we're going to have to sort of look the other way and let bad situations like this pass. If if we try to deal with this, if we try to say anything about it, we're like, it's very possible we might lose a number of members. A lot of people might go away. The numbers might go down. This guy has some influence. This guy has some friends. And if if we say anything about what he's doing, people could get mad. We might lose some members over this. That didn't seem to be a factor in what Paul was telling them to do, does it? He instructed them to deal with that situation. And so again, should we be worried about the numbers, so worried about the numbers that we would allow immoral, ungodly things to take place? Absolutely not. We should not be worried about the numbers. Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. It basically boils down to the question, who are we trying to please here anyway? We're trying to please God. Are we Are trying to please men? If we're going to try to please men, we're going to have to change a lot of things, right? Because actually what men want constantly evolves. It's changing all the time. You can't hardly keep up with that. Who are you trying to please? Men? If you're trying to please men and you're going to be changing things all the time. Or are you trying to please God and just do His will? We ought to please God rather than men. So, should we be concerned about the numbers at all? No. Don't worry about the numbers. But that's only part of the answer. I said, I'm going to answer, first of all, I'm going to answer no. But then I'm going to answer yes. There is a sense in which we ought to be worried about the numbers. Uh, So the answer is no and yes. And let let me explain to you what I mean by the yes. Yes, we ought to be concerned about the numbers, especially if the numbers indicate that we're doing something wrong. That, that we're failing or neglecting to do things that we ought to do. Uh, so if the numbers are not good, so here's a congregation of God's people, and someone says, oh, the numbers are not looking good. Uh, someone says, "I oh, don't worry about the numbers. Well, that's, that's part of the answer, don't worry about the numbers. But if the numbers aren't looking good because we're not doing what we ought to do or doing it the wrong way, then, then we ought to be concerned about the numbers. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In John chapter 4, remember the words of Jesus when he said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. This harvest that Jesus had in mind was the spiritual harvest of souls, right? And he was encouraging his disciples, lift up your eyes and look. There's all kinds of evangelistic opportunity out there. Lift up your eyes and look. Now, My thinking in applying this verse to our study this morning is if our numbers are not good because we're not being perceptive to the evangelistic opportunities that surround us, then that's a problem. And we should be concerned if the numbers are not good because we've been failing to do the kind of evangelistic work God wants us to do, then that's a big red flag. Yeah, be worried about the numbers. If the numbers are bad because of that, then we should be concerned. I'll tell you another thing that might be concerning if the numbers say so. In James chapter 2, James talked about how the Christians conducted themselves in their assemblies. He says in James 2 verse 2, If there come to your assembly a man with a gold ring, a goodly apparel, there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Now think about that. James, is he was specifically saying about how Christians act when they come together in the assemblies. And he's saying that they ought to be concerned if their conduct was such that people were feeling excluded, if people were feeling unwelcome. So what about a congregation today? if the numbers are not good because we have been not graciously accepting those who come into our assemblies to visit, to investigate, to worship with us, James is saying if, if, we're, if, we're, not, if we're not behaving ourselves toward others, especially those who might come in to visit us, in in a good way in a, in a in a in a welcoming way and therefore our numbers are bad cuz we're just kind of rude people then that's a reason to be concerned about the numbers right we need to wake up to that you know when you think about the description that James is giving there for all of us here at college View, uh, uh i don't we'd say oh well, we wouldn't do that we would never do that. And I hope that's true. And I, I do think that we are a generally very friendly group of people. And I think we are engaging to those who visit with us. And that's the way it should be. But w- this cannot be taken for granted. We've we got to continually work to be open and wel- welcoming individuals. We need to teach it to our children, by the way. Could I stress that? In other words, I would never, ever treat somebody in the assemblies in a, in a rude way. But have I taught that to my children? Have I taught my children to be kind and courteous? Or do we see children excluding others? Do we see children acting rudely to one another or to adults? You know, Are we teaching our children to be courteous in the assemblies? There's a biblical principle here, right? That we need to adhere. And so if our numbers are hurting because we're not the kind of welcoming people in our assemblies that we ought to be, then that's a problem. That's a, if, the, if the numbers are hurting for that reason, yeah, that's a reason to be worried about the numbers. See what I'm saying? Or how about this? In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. This was just recently in our daily Bible reading. And the, and the point of it was, Paul. in the context, Paul said, you can eat meat. The, the, the kind of meat that he had in mind here specifically was meat that had been offered to idols. That was a big issue. We don't deal with that issue, not at all. But it was a big issue in Corinth, which was an idol-worshiping city. And so they would offer sacrifices to the idol, and then they would take the meat that had thus been offered, and they would sell it in the common marketplaces and some Christians had a real conscience about that. That really bothered them. In the context of this, Paul says, it's, it's not a big deal and you don't have to worry about it. You don't even have to ask any questions. But if someone tries to make a point out of it, if someone puts meat before you, say, hey, by the way, buddy, the meat I'm serving you has been offered to an idol. He said, don't eat that meat for, for, your, for conscience sake. Not your own conscience, but the conscience of another brother. And so here Paul is actually saying he would forego personal liberties if it was causing a problem for someone else. He would even surrender his personal liberty. He wouldn't surrender truth. He wouldn't compromise truth. But he would surrender his personal liberties in order to accommodate the conscience of others. And so, again, I want to say that the answer to this question, should we be concerned about the numbers at all? No, In the sense that that should not be our main determinant of what we do. But yes, if the numbers indicate somehow we are not being what we ought to be in so many different ways. So, where should our emphasis be then? Well, in regards to the numbers, what should we do? I think we just got to faithfully do our very best. Do the best we can. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, "...conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." Wouldn't it be wonderful for that description to apply to us? That we're conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We've got to do that. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel... Notice, standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Do the best we can. God will bless us when we do the best that we can. So do the best we can. Do all that we can. Uh, In regards to these numbers, well, we've talked a lot about the numbers and we we understand uh, uh, how we ought to view those things, I hope all agree, but we just keep faithfully doing the best that we can and then leave the rest to God. And I got one passage here that I think really emphasizes the idea of leaving the rest to God. In First Corinthians chapter three, verse six, Paul said, "I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase." You, you see Paul's uh, sensibilities there. He, he was not really worried about the numbers. It was just working, planting, watering, leaving the increase to God. The increase that God might present might be numbers. It it might be numerical growth. There might be more people come. It might be so, but not necessarily so. But it would certainly be an increase in spiritual strength that is assured if we do the right thing. The fact of the matter is that God's faithful people have always been few, haven't they? If you stop to consider human history, going all the way back, we mentioned earlier Noah, way on back there, Noah. God's faithful people, how how did they compare to the majority? Obviously, just a handful. God's faithful people have always been few. We've got to be careful about how we view the numbers and make sure it doesn't cause us to do wrong and motivate us to do the things that are right. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say, and hope it's helpful in, as we think about uh, that sort of thing in the application to our own work in the local congregation. How should we view the numbers? Thanks for listening. We're going to end the lesson with a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking those here, all of us, to consider your life and consider your standing before God and make sure it's right. If If... It is the case that you've never obeyed the simple gospel plan of salvation, but you know it and you understand it and you, are, you realize your need for that. Then we would urge you to make that commitment this morning. That simple plan, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. If we can help you in that, let us know. If you're a Christian, but you've, you realize that you're not really right with God because your life has not been faithful to him, we urge you to come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. we we'll would be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. Let us know how we can help while we stand and sing this song.